We're in a series uh, that we started last week on Easter, which was a fun Sunday, by the way. Can I just, just want to put that out there. My heart was so full after with conversations and catching up with people that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, it was so good. And, and so we started last week this series called Parables. And you probably know the word parable. It's not a, it's not a mystery. If you've been around church, you, you know that Jesus taught in parables. And what we know is that Jesus would oftentimes take really hard truths, very difficult things to explain, and he would kind of bury it into a made up story used to intention with the intention of teaching that point. And so specifically last week, we saw that Jesus was trying to teach about the kingdom of God, uh, and then he hid the story or the, the, the truth of the kingdom of God in this, in this parable, because, because if he just came right out and said it, it's very difficult to understand, but, but by explaining it in a parable, uh, he said, so that you may know, so that you may, may hear, that, that he wants you and I to understand what the kingdom of God is about, what's important about the kingdom of God, how how, how the kingdom functions, how the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world, and all of those things. Um, and he very often does that in parables. And so I want to spend the next couple of weeks just looking at some of these parables, some famous parables, some some less famous. Today is going to be a less famous parable. Uh, actually, it's a few parables, but it's a, it's not one that you would just remember off of the top of your head. And at, at the heart of each time we gather and do this, what I want to ask is, like, what is God trying to teach you and I about his ways and how they're different than, than our ways, or they're different than the, the world's ways. And so uh, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 14. I would invite you to look at that, if for no other reason, to make sure that I'm not making it up. If you don't have a Bible and you're just like, man, I, I didn't even know we needed one or whatever, uh, and you just you just want a Bible, we, we give away some Bibles. So if you go down the hall to the room that we call the outpost, there are a few Bibles on a bookshelf. Just take one. It's a gift to you and your, and your family. Luke chapter 14, it's in the New Testament, uh, third book of the of the New Testament. And so what we're going to see uh, in this story, Jesus tells a parable, but he tells a parable at like a, like a meal. He's invited to a meal. And it would be really important for us to understand some, some cultural things, some customs, some, some traditions that aren't obvious to us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, you thought you knew what you were getting into, and then you got there and you found out that like the normal way of acting in that environment is very different than what you were expecting. And then you felt like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm uncomfortable. I, I don't... I don't know. Um, we just, uh, a lot of our, our high schoolers had prom this weekend. Prom is a very, like, there's a lot of, like, rules. Like, okay, you got to walk down the aisle, and you got to stop and take the picture at just the right time, the aisle being the, the red carpet, not a wedding. Uh, and and you, you had to stop and take a picture at just the right time. And uh, there, there are all these rules, and, and it's changed over the years what the rules are. But but if you if you don't know that, then you sprint down the red carpet, and you miss the picture. You're like a blur, and your parents are like, get back there. I paid for you to be here. Uh, when, when Ashley and I were in, in high school, my wife and I were in high school, uh, we, we went to prom together and we went with a, a group of people. And uh, we're, uh, the, so one of the, the families in this group of people like cooked the meal, and it's this big fancy meal. I didn't know it. I didn't know what I was getting into. I thought we were going to like Whataburger or something. Uh, but, but we ended up at this, 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 rest, uh, this house, and they, they cooked this meal. And so it had like, they had the like cloth napkins at their house. They had the cloth napkins with the silverware, not plasticware like we use in my house. Like it had real silverware, and it had real like nice dishes. And we had to sit and like place the, the napkin on our lap. And uh, I was really nervous nervous because uh, this is way fancier than, you know, 18-year-old me could handle. I'm not that classy, right? 
and, and the meal comes down. It was chicken parmesan, home cooked from some like, you know, the, the dad was a famous chef or mom or something. And when it comes out, she, she places it down. They serve like waiters and stuff. They served it at our table. And as soon as it was, the, it was down, the son of this mom who made the meal like criticized the thickness of the chicken parmesan. And it was incredibly uncomfortable. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, should I get up? Should I compliment, like overcome this? And so he, he was, he was saying things and I was just, I just sat there. It got really uncomfortable. And then, and then him and his date started arguing a little bit. You could see it. Have you ever been at a table where there's like a little murmur at the table and you're like, I'm, I don't know what to do with my hands anymore. I don't know. And so there was music playing, and uh, it was a contemporary. Now it's like the Golden Oldies song, but there was a song. It was like a, a, a paved parking lot to make paradise or something like that. Paved paradise to make parking lots is what it was. And that song comes on, and his date turns to him and says this out loud in front of the whole table. You better pay attention to the song. This, you're going to see what this is like when we pave over this paradise. It's like, oh, really uncomfortable. And so the, this whole moment, this whole meal was extremely stressful to me. Uh, and I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do. Why? Because, uh, one, it was not normal for me to be at, a, at a, a meal that was quite that, you know, organized. Uh, and two, uh, there, were, there was a deliberate move to, to go off the script. They, they, they went off of the script. Jesus is invited to a meal, and there, there are rules uh, to what's going on. The, in, the, in the Roman world, which is the world that Jesus lived in, uh, the, the way that mealtime worked, if you, if you were just, you know, like me and you, you would just eat a meal with your family, that's it. But if you were inviting the town out, you're, you're maybe a, a, a politician or someone of power, someone of, of clout, you, you would organize a meal on special days, you would have a, a feast, uh, and then you invite special people, the people that you want to have certain, I don't know, influence with. You understand? Like, if, if you uh, really wanted a nice sidewalk in front of your house, you'd probably invite the city manager in for your meal and just like, hey, listen, no strings attached. I just want you to have a good time. Wink, wink. You notice that pothole in front of my house? Maybe you could do something about that. So you'd invite certain people to your house. Um, and then, and then after you get to about 90% capacity, this is common practice in Jesus's day, uh, 90% capacity, you would fill in the back of the room with, with all the like poor and kind of destitute. You would just go out there and you just find somebody who's begging on the street, like, hey, you want to come eat a meal? And you'd bring them in because, because they were, they become like ornaments in your meal to show you as a host how, you know, generous you are. So all of your rich friends and families could come and see how generous and kind you are. Um, and at this meal, you couldn't just sit anywhere. There was assigned seating. You, you were given, your host would say, uh, you, you're the most important person. I'm not staring at anybody, by the way, if you don't know this. You're the most important person in this room. I, this is seat is for you. And uh, you guys are about 50% important. I'm going to set you right here. And I don't care where you guys sit. You just sit wherever you want. You, you would assign the room in such a way so that the people closest to you were the ones that you were wanting to honor the highest, and the people farthest away from you didn't care. And so inevitably what would happen is at the very back of the room would be the paralyzed, the sick, uh, the poor and the beggars. The middle of the room are kind of your new politicians, and the very front of the room is going to be like the mayor of the town or you know whatever equivalent they had. Then it would be people of power. Why? Because you wanted to have influence. You wanted reciprocity. You wanted you wanted to exchange things. Jesus is invited to this meal, and the the final ingredient that makes these meals uh, very different than than us is that it would be common practice that if you've organized the meal this way, it's more than just food. You would have to have uh, a certain level of entertainment. 
And so some of these people would uh, invite like a, I don't know, like a jester or something, which I would like to go to that meal, like just an old school jester, some dude juggling like turkey legs and taking a bite out of it. That'd be awesome. Uh, but, but more often than not, you, you would want to impress your, your guests by inviting a local philosopher a local teacher, to just come and just say something super smart. Because by, by proximity, you too are smart because you invited the smart person. And what we have is that Jesus is at this meal, and he is either A, the entertainment who's been brought in to impress everybody, that's, that's one possibility of reading this, or B, uh, there is other entertainment, and Jesus ignores it, and he just takes the microphone and just goes with it, and he starts talking and teaching, and everybody hangs on every word that he says, either by uh, purpose or by accident, either by following the rules or breaking the rules. Jesus is now the center of attention at this meal. So if you would, read with me. I'll pause a couple of times and try to explain pieces of it for cultural relevance. We'll see where we go. Uh, verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisee. So this isn't just like any old house. This is not the house of just a Pharisee. It's the ruler of the Pharisees. He's a big deal. They were watching him carefully. They would stare at Jesus. Um, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. I've never met anybody that's been diagnosed dropsy. I don't know if you have. I feel like uh, I feel like I should know more about what that condition is. So I did what you should do. If you don't know, I googled it. All right, I don't know what dropsy is. And so when I googled it, it turns out it's a condition that you and I see all over the place. Uh, and I just we just don't call it that anymore. Uh, dropsy is any medical condition where the body is retaining fluids for just you know like it's puffy and gets ankles puffy and things like that. It's usually caused by like heart problems, congenital heart failure or things like that. You and I probably can think of someone who is, is, is struggling with fluid buildup. They take water pills, and they have to go to the cardiologist and, and be looked at. And at this house on Sabbath, not just any day, Sabbath, is a man who has that condition. And so Jesus responded, which is hilarious because nobody asked a question. <laughs> no, nobody was like, hey, Jesus, what do you think? No, nobody. It's just Zero people said something, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, you and I, we're, we're Gentiles, and so most of us are anyway, uh, and, and that, that's a, a dumb question to us, but it's a super valid question because, because Jesus is on this day of Sabbath, and the one rule on Sabbath is whatever your job is, you don't get to do that anymore. You, you, can't, you can't do anything that exerts effort. But then Jesus, who is known as a healer, is at this party, and he asks the question to the lawyers, is it legal for me to heal or not right now? It's a, that's a weird way to start a meal, isn't it? It's a little confrontational, right? Uh, it's, um, you know, it, it, it might be uh, hard for them to answer. And in fact, it, it turns out that it is. Verse 4 says, but they remained silent. Then he, then he took him, he just grabbed the guy, we'll call him Bill, he grabbed Bill, uh, and he healed him, and he sent him away. What a cool moment that would be for Bill. Bill, you're just, you're just, you know, you're dealing with your dropsy. You're probably getting winded every now and then. It's, you're probably up at the front of the room. I would imagine he's a politician or something. I don't know what Bill does for a living. Uh, but he just walked into this meal as any other meal uh, with his medical condition. And Jesus says a few words and heals him. And he just, hey, why don't you get out of here? I, I don't know what you would do. If you were healed of congenital heart failure, would you sprint out of there? Would you do a couple of jumping jacks and like, you know, touch your toes real quick? Like, what would you do if you're healed of this condition? But he just gets up and, and he runs out. 
And if, if you're following along with like the Roman idea of like mealtime, this could be just like the rest of the crowd. It's like, oh, sweet, the entertainment has arrived. We're healing people for our entertainment today. Yeah. And so he says in verse 5, after Bill leaves the room, and he says to him, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. The, the lawyers in the room were asked a legal question. Hey, can I do this? Is it legal? And they look at him dumbfounded. That should be a pretty basic question for a lawyer to answer, and they couldn't do it. And so he's just like, okay, then I'll do it. And he heals them. And then he looks at them and says, every one of you would do the exact same thing. You would, you would immediately like grab your son out of a well on Sabbath. You wouldn't let your kid die. You wouldn't let your ox die. Why, why would you play patty cake with all the people in the back of the room right here uh, and just let them suffer if you have the power to do something about it? And now he goes into parables. He says in verse 7, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Now remember I said earlier that there's like seating. The closer you can get to the host, the better you are, which, which is terrifying to me because inevitably I, we have two people in the front row, but it's like people are so scared to be close to me. And it's because I understand the honor of being there is overwhelming. Uh, and it just takes like, it's, it's a heavy weight. I, I get that. Last week on Easter Sunday, there was standing room only in this room in first service. The front row is in completely empty with the exception of my wife, the preacher's wife and a preacher's child, Emily Campbell. Like that's the only two people that sit on the front row. But, but, in, in, in his day, people would be fighting for the front row. They would get there early, uh, and this isn't a church joke. This is, they wanted to be as close to the host. Why? Because when they sat down, they could look behind them and know immediately, I'm better than that guy. And they look in front of them like, I'm coming for you, Johnny. Like You would, just, like, you would be eyeballing people, right? You, you, you would immediately know where you were. I don't know what it was like for you in school. Um, I remember distinctly in school, specifically cafeteria, there was a whole like ecosystem of the seating arrangements. This side of the room, extremely confident. They're getting their, their act together. They're okay. This side of the room is the dorks and the nerds, and like they, they're just lucky to have a chicken nugget at this point. And they're always last in line. And it was just the way that the room was set up. I was always kind of this direction, as it, as it were. Uh, but I remember thinking, like you could just immediately see, like this is where people sit. I remember specifically in third grade, we had round tables, and this one round table was the place to be, and I was at this place to be. This was the place to be. My buddy Brandon, he was always there, and it was like, whoever else could join us could join us. And one day, I sit down, and the table fills up with as many people as can get there, and Brandon, he, he can't sit down. My buddy Brandon, right? And so Brandon, he's sitting over there in the loser table. I'm like, Brandon's not a loser. That's not fair, but there's no room for Brandon at our table. So I, being the good, godly person that I was, uh, actually, I didn't know the Lord then, but I did care for Brandon. And so I was I just like, oh, I'll just go sit with my buddy. And so I got up from the round table, and I sat down next to him at the dork table, and, and we talked. And he's like, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, we're going to recess, great. And he looks over, he's like, oh, empty chair. And he gets up, he sat in my chair. Brandon sat in my chair at the round table. Why? Because there was more honor there than there was here at the dork table where Jesse's sitting. And so he, Jesus, he looks around the room and he knows like the customs. He knows what's going on. He's, he's at least an invited guest. He may be the invited entertainment. And he notices that people are kind of bickering about where they're going to sit. And he tells a parable to call them out on it. He says to those who are invited, he says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than yourself be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. 
And then you will begin with shame. I like that. Like, it's not just that like you get up and move, but you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Why, why would you go to the lowest place? Because the host isn't going to rearrange the whole table, the whole room, because you chose one row forward. He's going to pick you up out of the wrong chair. He's just like, go find the next empty seat, which is at the very back in the least honored place ever. Verse 10, he says, But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, hey, come up here. Come up here where I am. Move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So uh, which one do you want to be whenever you go to the room? And you don't know, you don't know the seating arrangement. You know, you're at the wedding and you, you sit down, you accidentally sit down in the wrong place. Do you want to sit down in the wrong place? And then like the, the, the groom comes and is like, Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're up here with me. And he takes you from the back of the room and kind of marches you up and sets you in the, in the place of honor in the really, really good spot. That's, that's pretty sweet. I like that. He says, but that's not what you guys are doing. Uh, not, not you church, you, you people here at this, uh, feast. He's looking at a room full of people and he tells a made up story about a feast, <laughs> which is hilarious. And he says, you know, there's a lot of shame when you fight for the highest rung. You go self-righteous and you go prideful and you fight for the highest rung. And when the host, someone, someone more distinguished than you comes in, the host has to come and take you and walk you down the aisle back to your place in the back of the room. Now, these people, they're probably excited as can be. They love a little bit of confrontation. They love the entertainment. Jesus is saying, what if someone more distinguished than you walks in? But he's saying this, not just as a man who lives you know, in the town. He's saying this as the creator of the universe. There is one man in this room that is more distinguished than anybody else in this room. And he's saying, I don't care where I sit. He, he could walk in there and tell Bill, like, I can tell you why you have dropsy and I can heal you. Like, he, he, did, he heals Bill, right? He could tell, like, the host of the table, like, oh, you, you, have, you have a bottle of wine? Uh, I can tell you the three seasons of trees that that came from, like where the grapes came from. He knows the molecules. He, he's like, you have 4,623 hairs on your head, Frank. Like, he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And he's saying, what if someone more distinguished than you shows up? They don't, they don't, they don't quite get it. But the, the principle, this, this parable of this wedding feast is that we need to be mindful about when we're fighting for our own ranking. We need to be mindful of when we're so sure of ourselves that we know where we're going to sit. There's a level of pride in all of us when, when we, when we try to, especially in, in organized settings where we try to, we try to like show, like, I know, I know where I'm supposed to sit. I know where I belong. I know, I know where I am. And Jesus says a much better uh, ethic in the kingdom uh, would be for you to walk into a room and take the lowest place possible to assume that everybody else is higher than you in ranking and just, just let it be and to not care. Actually to fight for the back of the room. Paul will say this later. He says uh, later that, that we should outdo each other in showing honor to one another. Like our goal, like, we either are fighting for our own honor or we're fighting to show our neighbor that you are special and you are honored and I love you and I'm here to protect you. And Jesus, like in this party, calls out the whole crowd, which is hilarious and uncomfortable. So then he goes down to this next bit. Remember, he says that to the invited guest. Uh, this next parable starts in verse 12. And he says, he said to the man who had invited him. So he's moved from addressing the crowd to the host who's at the front of the table. And he says, uh, I've got a parable for you. Uh, we need a name for him. This is Mark. This is Mark right here. 
he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. Who do you think our host invited to this party? He invited the politicians, the friends, the relatives. He invited all the people he wanted to hang out with. And, and he, Jesus turns to him and says, hey, when you, when you throw a party, you probably don't want to do that uh, because all they're going to do is repay you. He says, but when you give a feast, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So, so Jesus, he calls out this, this thing that, that maybe, maybe you know people who are guilty of this, this idea that relationships are transactional. He calls out this idea that, that we are only nice to people when it benefits us. He calls out this idea that, that I'm going to treat you in such a way so that I can be treated in return back. He's calling out reciprocity. He's calling out the I scratch your back, you scratch my back motif that is not just in that room, but it's in all of our lives. And, and he says, he says when, you, when you invite someone or when you're kind to someone just so that you can get in return blank, kindness back, you get the full extent of your reward. It's done. Like the transaction is over and you're done. But if you just invite people who have no ability to pay you back, if you are kind to people, not because they deserve your kindness, but because you're just freely giving that, and they have no ability to pay you back, they can't, they don't, they, they don't have the capacity to, your blessing doesn't come from that person, your blessing comes from the Lord, and you just have to trust that the Lord knows what he is doing. I think that the Lord at the day of resurrection is going to talk to me about Brandon and sealing the wrong table. I, I don't know that, but it really meant a lot to my little third grade brain. They're like, why did he take my chair like he did? Uh, but I was just being kind. I wonder, um, I wonder what our world would look like if, uh, one, we stopped fighting for uh, you honor me the way that I should be honored. We just say, I don't care. I'm going to sit in the back of the room. And then we stop acting and treating each other in a way so that I get something good in return. And we just, out of kindness, out of humility, just serve one another. Jesus is in a room full of selfish people calling them out on their selfishness. And in return, we get to hear maybe even a little bit of ourselves in that. See, the, the parable, he, he's hiding a truth in this made-up story that they're clapping and they're having a great time. They're enjoying all these made-up stories. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, do that. But the truth that's hidden in there is a very bitter pill to swallow because it looks at your heart and my heart and says, am I, am I doing that for the right reasons? Do I have the right motivation? Um, or am I fighting for my own place? Because if, if, if I go for my own honor, I'm going to be humiliated. But if I fight for my own humility, I'm going to be exalted. That is the kingdom principle hidden in this parable. Now, some of you are like, Jesse, were they really clapping? Yeah, because look, at, look what happens to this next guy. So it's in verse 15. It says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. What? Like, was this guy paying attention at all? Here, here's what I think. I think this guy was like having a conversation with his friends. He knows Jesus is a spiritual teacher. And he's just like, praise God. Yeah, everything. We're, we're all going to eat bread in the kingdom. And, and Jesus turns 
And he looks at this guy who just like yelled this thing. Anybody have a relative who's constantly yelling things like inappropriate times? It wasn't a bad thing that he yelled. It's just not the right time, buddy. You don't understand the context. If you don't know that you have a relative that yells things at inappropriate times, you are the relative that yells things (laughs) at inappropriate times. It's just sometimes we put our foot in our mouth, right? And so Jesus, he, he takes this moment of this guy yelling that, and he turns, he, he's gone from addressing the crowd to addressing the host, and now he looks at the guy who yelled at him and like, like heckled him, if you will, and he has a parable just for him. And in this parable is a truth about what God is doing in our world. It says uh, in verse 16, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and that guy was like, yeah, I'm there right now. So yeah, no, no, this is a made-up one. He says, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Come on, guys. I've been telling you for months I'm going to have this great event. Uh, it's, you don't want to miss this. It's going to be the event of the century. You want to be there. And the day has come. Go, go get them. Go get the people that we're going to invite. He says, uh, but, in verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. So the first said to him, ah, you know, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excuse. What a dumb excuse that is, by the way. Hey, I bought some land, and it, oh, golly, like, I know I'm going to have it for the rest of my life, but i got to go right now to go. I'm going to miss the party. I can't, I, can't, I can't make it. Please please have me excuse. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excuse. A little less of a time, uh, like, okay, like the oxen will die eventually, but it's like, you got like 20 years. I don't know how long oxen live. Uh, maybe someone can yell out the actual year. Uh, but you've got some time, and you're going to miss the one party for the oxen. Like, hey, sorry, got to go make sure I got them all. Got to go inspect them. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I can't, I can't do it. I just got married. My wife hates feasts. She hates parties. Uh, can't make it. Please, please have me excused. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, what, I think, before I read the rest of this, can, can we just agree that if you plan a party and nobody shows up, that's really demoralizing, right? If, you, if you've got a big thing going, and you, you, you've planned this in such a way with specifically for the people that you've invited that you wanted to bless them for no other reason, you wanted to just be kind to them and just celebrate this moment, and nobody showed up, that stinks, if, if, if you uh, are having a birthday party and you walk in and you're the only one there, it's like, where, where did everybody go? Why, why did they not get this? That's what's happened here. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master became angry. And he said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded, I have done. And still there is room. I've gone out and gotten everybody, all the beggars, all the people who had no business being here. I got them. And like, there's still room at the party. He was planning a really big party, apparently. And so the master said to a servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, now, oh boy, who's like so excited that Jesus is talking to, I don't know if he gets the point, but, but you and I should really pay close attention to this. Um, Jesus seems to be implying that God has planned a really big deal. He is planning something good and beautiful that nobody would ever be able to repay him and nobody would want to miss. It is going to be like the party of the century. 
And then he sends the invite out, and there are people in their ignorance who say, ah, you know, I can't do it. I've got other plans. I've got other things. I've got, I've got ox. I've got to go. You know, I've got this job coming up. I can't go. I can't be a part of that. And they miss out on the party of their lives. They miss out on the celebration that would have been amazing. And in return, Jesus says that the master, he goes out and gets a ton of people who would never have been invited to a party like this anyway. And he packs the room with them. And then he goes out and just gets strangers. It's like your birthday. Nobody comes to your kid's birthday. And so you just go out on the street and it's like, hey, kid, you're about the right height. Come on, I got a party for you. Let's just get everybody in. And your kid has the best party he's ever had with strangers. And all the strangers are like, this is great. I've never been to something so good. I've never, I've never been. Jesus, Jesus goes on after this. I'm going to skip a little bit for time, but he goes on after this to talk about the cost of following him because, because the people in this room don't, don't understand the parables. And, and all throughout, like, you know, you and I are, are guilty of this. I know I am. I'll just speak for myself. You guys can agree with me or, or not. I know there are times in my life where, like, the Lord wants me to do a thing and I just make an excuse. I'm too busy. I'm not good enough at that. I, I just, you know, I just had, I just had kids. I can't move. I, I'm, I just got married. I, I don't, I'm scared. I, I, I can't, I can't lead in that way. There, there are times where the Lord's like, Jesse, I need you to speak up. I was like, ah, oh, it's not my place. And I make excuse after excuse. And all the while, Jesus, the Lord is calmly, patiently inviting me to be a part of the best thing I'll ever be a part of in my life. And what is that? It is the kingdom of God and the interaction of God with his creation, that he is restoring all of this. And more often than not, more often than I would like to claim, I make excuses. When I make an excuse to not show up, to not be a part of that, Jesus is going to get the job done. The party is going to go down. Whatever it was I was called to do, I'm no longer, you know, I, I missed out on that. Um, but but he gets it done. And so he goes through this like cost of discipleship. You can read through that. But in verse 33, he sums it up this way. He says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. One of the costs of being a part of the kingdom of God is that we say that Jesus is Lord and his agenda supersedes my agenda. That, that his way of doing things is more important than my way of doing things. When Jesus calls us to be a part of something, we either submit and say yes, or we make excuses and we miss out. But, but he's going to continue moving on. He goes on in verse 34, he says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer... Uh, is, it, is, it is of no use either for soil or for the manure pile. Okay, <laughs> Get, getting graphic. Uh, it is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. He says, he says, this is the point of salt. Salt has a purpose. If salt loses its purpose, what use is it? You, as a created being of the Lord, uh, who, who is a follower of Jesus, you, you have a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. It's not going to show up on the screens, uh, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared for us beforehand. There are tasks and jobs and an agenda that the Lord has set apart just for you. And then he invites you to be a part of it because it's the greatest celebration you're ever going to be a part of. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes, sometimes it's seasons of incredible like stress and pain, but they were set apart for you to walk through, for you to go into, so that you would experience the goodness of the Lord. We walk around 
in a culture that is so quick to make excuses and to miss out. I, I don't know about you, uh, but if I'm in that party, I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> if I'm in the room where Jesus is like going and pointing fingers at people, that I'm a little uncomfortable. But what I will do is I'll walk out with some clarity. If you walk into this room and this entire moment, it's like, golly, church is a little uncomfortable. Uh, but then you walk out of here with clarity about A, who the Lord is, and B, who the Lord is calling you to be, then that's a win. I think that that Mark and Bill and the, all the other made-up names I made up of the people in this party, they were incredibly uncomfortable in the moment. But then they walked out and they knew, I'm either going to make excuses and not follow the Lord, or I'm going to choose his ways over my ways, and I'm going to either miss the party or be a part of the party. Uh, I, I think they knew what to do. I hope, I hope that we walk out of here knowing what to do. I want to close with, with three like thoughts about, because we, we handled two parables and a couple of pieces of narrative, and so I, I just have three thoughts that I want to pull out. You know, The first is that there's a Sabbath, um, Jesus is a healer by vocation, if you will. Uh, and he asks the question like, hey, can I heal? Can I not? What's the law? And nobody can answer him. And, and the first thing I just want to say is that God has not placed on you any duty or exemption that prevents you from loving and serving your neighbor. He's like, if you saw an ox in a well, you're going to get him out, right? There, there's, there's this whole brand of Christianity where, where we, we, people, uh, I think Carpenter's Way is pretty good about this, but people can, can be quick to look down on someone else, to dismiss another person. And, and that should be a symptom to you. If you ever find in your heart uh, a sense of apathy, a sense of not caring, a sense of, uh, I don't know, uh, frustration or dismissiveness, you should count that as like a fever, there's something wrong with my Christianity. There's something wrong with my faith. If I'm able to just dismiss people, there is nothing that the Lord has asked you to do or is required of you that has exempted you of the duty and the responsibility to be a part of somebody else's life. I had a conversation with someone uh, just this week, and it was like, uh, it, it was just, we're, we're talking about how people are treated, and uh, the, the conversation led towards uh, some, some Christians that said, they said, oh man, that person, Callie, they're probably going to hell or something. And that was it. Like, there was no remorse. There was no anger. There was no sadness. It was, it was just that statement. And I'm like, that, that's a fever, buddy. There, there's something wrong. If you're missing the mark that much that you could just dismiss out of anger someone else. God has not placed on us any exemption from that. And he's not added anything to us that removes us uh, from the ability to serve our neighbor. The second thing is this. Um, we're all kind of jockeying for position in life. Nobody in this room wants to be disrespected, right? Like, how disrespectful would it be if I, like, you know, started, like, you know, so-and-so was in my office confessing these three sins, and I just, like, blasted it on, on Facebook and all. Like, like if, if you were disrespected, you, 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 would, you would be hurt. But our response sometimes to trying to avoid that is, is that we fight for our own position, and we, we fight for position. Jesus doesn't have that for you. He doesn't want you to be fighting for where you are. So as you navigate your place in life, uh, self-righteousness will lead to humiliation, but humility will lead to exaltation. You know, this idea that, that you, I'm right, I, I know what to do, uh, that puts you in a very poisonous situation that Jesus tends to say, not just here, but elsewhere. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in other places that if you choose to be self-righteous and know how right you are, the Lord himself will humble you. That is all throughout the New Testament. But if you choose humility as your primary stance, I don't care who thinks they're better than me. I don't care where I sit. I don't care if you like me. I'm just, I'm just here. 
the Lord is going to exalt you. I listened to a podcast uh, uh, this week. Uh, do you guys know who Terry Crews is? Uh, dude's swole. He does like Old Spice commercials, and uh, he does uh, uh, oh, Singing with the Stars or one of those America's Got Talent, one of those things. Uh, he's all over TV. Terry Crews is great. He's doing this interview, and he's talking about racism. And uh, he, He's a black man, so he, he, has, he has some topic. He has something to say about that. And, and it, his point is, he says, you know, I don't really think most racism is really racism. He says, he says it seems more like it's just self-righteousness. That, that someone is so sure of their own rightness and that person's wrongness that you can take the humanity out of this person and just treat them in awful, evil, wicked ways. This is the wisest thing I've ever heard, and it's coming for Terry Old Spice Cruz, right? Uh, and and he, said, he says, we shouldn't be fighting against racism. That's just a symptom, as much as we should be fighting against self-righteousness. We, we should enter into rooms with levels of humility, looking for opportunities to lift up anybody who comes near us, to build them up. Why? Because that's what the kingdom citizen does. That's what a follower of Jesus does, and that's what Jesus recommends for his feast. If we, if we aim for humility, we're going to find exaltation. The third and final thing before I release you is, God has invited you and I and the rest of us in on the celebration, the big celebration uh, there's no need for reciprocity. We wouldn't be able to afford it if we could. God doesn't need you to earn his invitation. He's already invited all Christ followers to be a part of it. And so the question is, Is are you willing to give up your plans and accept the invitation to be a part of that? Or do you make excuses and miss out? What, what I want to invite us to be a part of as we consider these parables, as we consider the story is, in what areas have I been making excuses and missing out on what God has for me? Yes, the conversation's probably going to be hard. Yes, forgiveness probably wasn't earned. Yes, that person is an enemy and is a jerk. There's no question about it. The Lord doesn't deny that. But he's inviting us to forgive that person. He's inviting us to be kind to our enemies and to bless them. He's inviting us to have the heart conversation and to be honest with our brother when we're angry. Be angry and do not sin. So don't, don't go nuts on him. But like say, you hurt me. He's inviting us to be a part of that. Or do we make excuses? That's too hard. I'm not the right person for that. And every time we just miss out on what the Lord has for us, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want to miss out on what the Lord has for me. And so I'm wanting to look for those invitations to be a part of something beautiful, to be a part of something bigger than me. Let me pray. Uh, Barbara, do we have a cue? Am I dismissing to a cue? Okay, so let me pray, and then you will be dismissed. Father, uh, Lord, we, we come to you. Um, we come to you knowing that uh, whatever standing we have with you is by invitation only. Um, we haven't earned it. You don't, you don't owe it to us. Uh, but thank you, Father, that, that you've let us, you let us have an audience with you and with your people. Um, Lord, help us, help us to navigate this world with more humility and to treat others with more kindness, to treat others with more honor than, than we're treating ourselves. Uh, Father, help us, help us to find opportunities to serve our brothers and sisters, to meet them where they're at, to pull them out of the well. or Don't, don't let us make excuses, Lord. I, I pray, Father, as a gift to, to myself and everybody in here, Lord, the, the moment we make an excuse that you would just sound a big alarm in our head and at least help us be honest with ourselves that we're just making excuses at that point. Um, but, Father, may we have the courage to no longer make excuses and to choose your way over our way, and to in turn just walk into that party, into that celebration, to see more clearly um, what you're doing in our community 
And Father, I ask that you would heal our community and that our community would know the name of Jesus because of the invitation that you're extending. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.